Before we get started, I'd like to thank Portia for supporting this podcast. Sometimes what's new and what's next isn't always a trend. It's a style, it's a person, it's a state of mind. And because looking ahead so often involves forging your own path, we're constantly inspired by the tastemakers and designers who do just that. Welcome to Trending Forward, a Domino Design Time podcast. I'm your host, Ben Raynard. Each week, I'm excited to take you along on visits with some of my favorite creatives. These names have started their own trends and inspired countless others and are changing design as we know it. What we love, what we buy, and what catches our eye. Now, they're opening up about their creative process and what they swear by, from palettes to products, and what really makes something buzzworthy. Join us as we pull back the curtain on it, styles, and goods, and let their magic guide us on our own journeys of discovery. As a fashion stylist, Beverly Wynn has become known for her high-low design philosophy and cutting-edge editorial shoots. Having managed the studio of Kate Young, noted stylist to the stars, Beverly has developed an eye for what's cool, exciting, and next. This past April, she made a foray into interiors and founded Beverly's, one of New York City's most stylish homewares boutiques. In this new endeavor, Beverly brings an idiosyncratic point of view to home goods. The selection merges affordable functionality with covetable design, all while staying true to her Vietnamese heritage and family history of shopkeeping. I can't wait to talk trends and all things chic for your space with Beverly. I'm so excited to be here today talking with Beverly Wynn, the founder of the most photographed opening of the summer, Beverly's. I feel like everything that you've been doing before the launch of Beverly's sort of led to this shop that you've curated. And if there's anything that I truly love, it's shopping and discovering new home shops. I'd love to hear about how you got your start and transitioned into where you are today. I always kind of think about where my roots are and where I've come from and what my work experience is leading me into the next project. And I mean, I love shopping and I love shopping for gifts for friends and shopping for home goods and entertaining goods and being somebody who works in fashion, who's had the privilege to travel a lot, looking for objects in places that are not typically meant to be forward-facing home entertainment things have always been a part of what I love doing when I'm traveling. I've come into this shopping headspace when I'm traveling that has become second nature and just looking for hardware stores in different countries or looking for pharmacies that carry stationery or special napkins or something like that. That's sort of where all my like fascination for home goods started. And then during this pandemic, being at home, not knowing when I would get to see family or friends again, um, or when I would even work again in styling, I sort of unfolded a mecca of what my life has meant to me, (laughs) which I think a lot of people have also done. You know, you sort of just now you have all this, you learn to sleep again and you learn to navigate what matters to you and you sit down with all your thoughts and I meditated a lot. And I just discovered that my grandmother had a home store in Vietnam and it made me 
sort of want to tap into that a little bit and really come up with some ways to connect my family to my work or like the future of my career. And it, yeah, the store ideas started coming in then along with a million other things. But I guess that's the short answer. I love that you're recently discovering that you have this lineage almost of shopkeeping and owning a store. And so what was it like for you to make that discovery? And did you feel like it was always in you to create a space like this? I think when the store opened or when I kind of, when it came to me that I was like, I'm going to really do this. It was just super natural. I think all the things I've done in my career, whether it was styling or producing or just making quick decisions based on my taste level, like what I'm into at the time, got me to become very clear about how to execute my vision. And once it opened up, I was like, okay, it's so instinctual that it was almost like I wasn't working. And I think I finally understood what people meant when they were like, if you do something you love, it won't feel like work. Cause it was really like, I felt energized and I didn't feel like run down at all. And I didn't feel like, oh no, I have so much to do. It just felt like really second nature to me. Our homes and the spaces that we go to find things that are interesting, unique should be constantly evolving. And that totally makes sense. And I'm curious, coming from like an editorial perspective and really seeking out what's new and next, were you sensing something was missing in the home space or were you clocking things as you went and identified, I do love the idea of a store and these are sort of things that I would want to do? Like, was that kind of in the back of your head as you were starting to think about the shop? Absolutely. And I think um, 100% you sort of nailed it because in the back of my mind, always like being Vietnamese American, I think I've grown up around primarily non-Vietnamese people in Orange County. And I think that in the back of my mind, whether I'm styling or working in any project, I'm usually the only Vietnamese person in the room. I think it's changed a little bit now that I've opened the store and I've become more comfortable with my identity and found a really close community of Asian Americans that I lean on a ton. But just growing up and also at the store, I wanted to be able to create a space that teaches people who I am. Like I felt like people had the room to relearn a lot of things about the home. And I'm like, I want people to know that you know, I don't have forks and spoons in the store because I only grew up with chopsticks and that's totally okay. And there wasn't really a space that I was comfortable shopping in often that painted that picture for me. So I thought if I wanted that, other people might want that too. I read that you are the first Asian American to own and operate a retail space at 30 Rockefeller. And I feel like you are bringing forward a different point of view and perspective. And I'm curious, looking forward, what do you see influencing the direction of the store as you are evolving the space and the experience that you want to create? I'm still listening and learning to the customers and to my community and to myself about what this store even is. 
closing the Ludlow store downtown and moving it to Midtown was not something like I instinctually felt I needed to do. But then with a lot of the spikes in Asian hate crimes and it happening to myself and it happening to everybody that I know, I felt like it was important for me whether or not I felt like it was the most comfortable move for my business. I just needed to know that there was a presence for Asians to come to and not just for Asians, for anyone feeling unsafe. You know, like I'm so surrounded by beautiful, loving people that have a range of different experiences from different cultures, from different sexualities, from race, everything from A to Z. So it's very important to me that wherever I'm being asked to be, I think I have to give it somewhat of a chance and just try to see what that looks like. I love this direction that you're taking in terms of, yes, your audience is probably very much the downtown scene, but then you've opened up in a space that's very much diversity of different types of people visiting New York. Just logistically, I'm curious to know about your biggest challenges in terms of opening a physical store in this bustling space. I'm still working on that myself. (laughs) I mean... You wear a ton of different hats and we're in this pandemic. We're in a very difficult time where people both have the space to relearn how to live their life outside of their home and how to interact with people and communicate. The idea of just trying to explain what you want to execute just takes a little bit more time. So you just have to over explain what your mission is <laughs> or let people who you're collaborating with really let them know that you're there to do something special. And it's not about rushing to get something done or finishing things quickly. It's about taking your time and really honoring what your vision looks like and that everybody also is feeling a lot right now. So acknowledging that everybody is working as hard as they can, I think really helps with opening a store. (laughs) But I've always loved having conversations with all kinds of people. Like (laughs) anyone interested in opening a store, I think like the whole point is that you're really wanting to build a community space. Ultimately, you, you know, you can't just open a store and then disappear and never show up. Like you have to be present, you know, and it's funny because sometimes at Rockefeller Center, now everybody knows that I exist there and like, who I am and what I look like. But in the beginning, it was a little bit challenging just because they've never seen a young woman, let alone an Asian woman, own a store, let alone be present at the store. I love that you're thinking about creating a new type of community in this space. Yeah, you have to show up if you want people to show up for you. At Domino, we know good design is all about dreaming big. We dream of drenching our living rooms in a gutsy green, adding a multicolored tiled backsplash to our kitchens, or finally going for that psychedelic rug. We dream of poolside hangs, countryside retreats, and city apartments that actually have enough closet space. For me, I've always dreamed of having a weekend place outside of New York City. I could not believe my luck 10 months ago when I found a big old Victorian house with great bones. It has quirky rooms like an upstairs sleeping porch and a so 70s kitchen that needs to be 100% gutted. 
I can already see the potential. My dreams are being realized. Many years ago, Dr. Ferry Portia couldn't find the sports car of his dreams, so he decided to build it himself. With a focus on customization, performance, and distinctive design, Porsche vehicles continue to change the luxury automotive landscape. It all started with creating a car that didn't exist yet, and that influence has motivated Porsche ever since. Their dream was to make the world's greatest sports cars. What's yours? Find out more at porsche.us slash dreams. The spaces themselves have been so interestingly designed with color and pattern. And I remember wallpaper being a focal point in the Lower East Side. And how did you land on using certain patterns and colors in the space to bring your shop alive? I feel like it was kind of instinctual. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think like originally the wallpaper, I had asked for some sample swatches from Andrew Zuckerman and Nikki Bergen, who have Superflower Studio. I've been a big fan of theirs for a very long time. I think part of it is that I've studied artists and creative directors and graphic designers and film directors for a very long time. It's a huge, huge source of inspiration for me. And it's really led me to understand my personal taste and also like a range of topics that I wouldn't have access to as a kid. And it's carried me now to the people that are in the store because it's like somehow my community and theirs have crossover because of the taste interest are the same. And colorful tones and colorful wallpaper and hands and linens, it really just comes from trust. I think I kind of trust the artists that I wanted in the store. And if they wanted to propose something different, I definitely was like, yes, let's just go for it. Because I am deeply passionate about what their talents and color theory is. And it resonates with me intuitively, like so fast. I'll either say, yes, I'm so into that or like, not right now. (laughs) Uh, But the purple wallpaper was... It took a week because I hung up all these different shades that Superflower Studio had sent me. And, you know, sometimes when you're like, this is the one I want, and you know you're kind of wrong, you it takes a, it takes a little bit longer to come to admit that you're wrong. And the right one is the purple wallpaper, even though I was like, I've never owned anything purple in my life. So that was a big leap. It is a tricky color, but I think that you executed it in a way that really pulled it off and really inspired a new look. I think purple is kind of in sort of those aubergine berry tones are having a little bit of a comeback. They are. I think mixed with what is considered typically kind of mechanical, like a pegboard and tools like stainless steel pots and, you know, hammers and pliers and things like that. I kind of also wanted to lean into what it felt like in my grandmother's market. It oddly all, once I picked the purple and wallpaper and looked at the red frame and saw the pegboard, I was like, I feel so cozy. And it reminds me of my my grandmother's shop, which was kind of a hodgepodge of things. At Domino, we just love that high-low mix and finding like the balance between something from a big box retailer that you could just pick up anywhere and like mixing it with something really artisanal or handmade. 
And I love that you're kind of in this way. And so how did you come up with that assortment? And who were you looking to when you started thinking about what physical things you really wanted in the space? I definitely felt like it was important to work with my parents. And my parents have a full production manufacturing company in California. And so they've had that my entire life. And part of me was like, I really want them to be able to retire and not have to have a stressful next decade of handful of years of just like working like the way they're working. And how can I jump in to their world and merge mine together? And so in the beginning, I was like, they're going to make everything that I want to sell in the store, which I hope will still happen. But I was like, I don't think that'll make their life easier. I think that'll actually make their life really hard. So let's start with linens and tea towels and hopefully some larger towels and bedding. But initially I was like, that's really the focal point for me. And then I wanted to sell objects. I have so many friends where I'll host them over for dinner and they're always like, where did you get this stuff? Or where did you buy this thing? Or how did you come to decide you'd want to serve dessert in these like Oaxacan ceramic dishes that were meant for ashtrays or something. So I was like, that's kind of the inspiration behind the objects in the store. And I just started shopping for them. So I wrote to vendors and I asked, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Would you like to support me? And they'd be like, no. And I was like, great. (laughs) I guess we'll go into a different idea. I mean, you have to be open to being rejected. And I think dressing people for a long time and requesting endless amounts of clothes, you hear no a lot. You don't have a reason and you might be, you know, you'll never hear it again. But the idea of like chasing the right contacts is definitely within my my life. (laughs) And hearing no a lot before hearing the right yes is kind of the name of the game. What else is piquing your interest these days in terms of sourcing? Are you looking for inspiration on Instagram? Where are you looking and getting some of your ideas for the future? I mean, we've been in this lockdown using the same kitchen supplies for a long time. Using the the things that we own for an extended amount of time with probably it's getting its maximum usage. And a lot of the things in the store are things that I, of course, have spent my whole life using. And I'm trying to find ways to re-excite me into cooking or into just hosting and entertaining that actually doesn't feel like it needs to be visually beautiful for Instagram. So with the galleries and museums that have been reopened, I've just been sort of going to the Met, going to the Whitney and going to see like specific jewelry collections um, to get a source of like inspiration for color theory. And in that, try to rethink about the way I want to host a dinner party or I want to go on vacation and what I want to even like make into a home when I'm on a long vacation. What is your secret to having great linens? And what do you look for when you're sourcing bedding, for example? When I'm sourcing anything, I think for me, color theory is a very important matter. I just feel like I'm so sensitive to the richness of a color tone, and I'm extremely particular about it. But when I'm looking for bedding that's and linens, that's definitely the first topic that I go into. 
I'm an insomniac, so it's already difficult for me to sleep. So I have built this formula that so many friends have replicated now <laughs> that really helps with that. Comfort is extremely important, but I think practicality is just as important as color theory. You know, it's like it needs to feel breathable. It needs to be able, like for towels, it needs to be absorbent. It just has to feel usable and not too precious. You know, it can't be like, oh no, I'm afraid to get into bed or make my bed. It's like too hard or whatever. You have to sort of be like, no fuss. It provides color and it provides like warmth and comfort and that's it. I am a firm believer in great bedding and I'd much rather see a bedroom like with beautiful bedding and like very comfortable and like nothing else in the room. I'd rather like the <laughs> investment in the bed. Totally. I mean, that's sort of like my apartment we're in right now. It's like, it's a studio, you know, but I'm, because I'm an insomniac, everything kind of needs to be set up for sleep. Mm. And that's, I pretty much just have a bed and like a table that I built in LA and books. That's it. (laughs) Are you an all white bed or are you like a color mixing bed? I'm an all white bed. It has to feel like a cloud for me personally. So whatever your cloud looks like, like that's nice. In terms of other pieces that you feel are worth the investment or worth the splurge in your shop and just also in your own life, what other things do you recommend in that sort of way? The other things that I think are important are, is lighting. The right lamp, and like the light bulb itself is extremely important. Everybody should be aware of their lighting always, and especially in your own home. It could really change your day and it could, you need a light that makes sense for when you're entertaining people. You need lighting when you're reading and working and feel like you need to concentrate. You know, you need lighting when you want to be like super glamorous. That's really important. And the vessel that holds the light bulb is equally important. But I'm a big fan of the Akari sculptures and Ingo Maurer. Other crucial, I mean, important things, I think like an important Dutch oven is is also crucial. A Dutch oven and a rice cooker, <laughs> you know, and a coffee maker. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I love buying pepper grinders. You know, I probably have like 15. And it's because each one really creates a different feeling for you when you're preparing a meal. And I think that goes back into like what your friends and family are eating. They're going to feel it. You know, that's super important to me. Beverly, we asked our Instagram audience if they had any questions specifically for you. So one of our followers, Samantha, asks, pegboards, do you stain them or do you paint them? Well, you paint them. Although staining could be interesting, but you know, I feel like with stains, you don't want brush strokes going the wrong way. And it could look, I think it's supposed to be a vessel to support your objects and it should almost feel invisible. So I would paint it. What color do you like for pegboards? The best one is it's this Benjamin Moore's interiors white. There's a name for another, a green pegboard that I really like. It's called guacamole. It's a Benjamin Moore color. Sea spray is a great one too. Another reader, Julia, is curious. She says, everyone loves the hand pillows that you sell at the shop. How did you get to know 
John Sohn, the maker of these pillows? I met John probably six or seven years ago. He's actually an incredible women's wear designer. He has a background working with the row, Mary Kay and Ashley Olson's line, and then now oversees everything at Rosetta Getty, based in New York. He's an inspiration. His taste level and his references and fashion shows and looks is it's beyond. So we've been friends for a long time. And then when he started making pillows during the pandemic for fun, I had seen it. He posted about it and I immediately bought some for people I knew. I was like, how do I buy it? He's like, I've never sold one before. It's not for sale. And I was like, well, I think I should be your favorite customer. <laughs> and please just sell them to me. And then so when I opened the store originally, I wrote to him before I even found a space. And I was like, I don't know where your you know, mental capacity for creating something outside of your personal project. But if you wanted to make a cloud pillow for the store, I would love that. We can hang it. We can put it on a bench. It could be so cozy. Because before the hand, he was making these cloud pillows. And he was like, of course, no problem. And then the night before we opened, I was like, okay, like I trust him. I was like, I know he'll make something great. He just shows up and he's like, I didn't make a cloud pillow, but I made a hand pillow. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, the genius of you is insane. Like, I just respect it so much. And I, I didn't even care. You know, I was just like, yes, period. It was great. And everybody loved them and they sold out every weekend. Okay, so this last question, Britt asks, what are your top essentials for my kitchen? From the store point of view, I would have a spider ladle because it's like 2021 and everybody should be using spider ladles because everyone wants to cook with Vietnamese noodles or Asian Chinese noodles. and <laughs> It's the best catch for that. Um, and it's just so beautiful. The wooden handle is nice and flat and it's wide and it's stained the perfect shade. Um, and it has this mesh circular, it looks like a spider web, but the metal itself is a little bit raw. It's not like a smoothed over generic ladle. It kind of is able to catch all the slippery things. You know, it's kind of a cheat tool. I love that. The second thing I would say is scissors. Scissors need to go into every drawer because everybody loses scissors. You need as many scissors as possible, and there's like a beautiful classic red-handled scissors that we sell that I love. So now we're going to play this little game that I like to call Intuit or Moving On. And I often ask stylish friends for a bit of a gut check on certain trends and I know our listeners would love to get your take. So I'm going to shout out some trends and ideas and you're going to reply with your gut reaction into it or moving on. Are you ready? I'm ready. Accent walls. Into it. I love where it stems from and I love the divide and what it creates sometimes for a space. It just hasn't, can't be done wrong. That's all. And the color has to be right. Herringbone. Moving on. Pleat. Into it. Color blocking. Moving on. Pegboard. Into it. Obviously forever. Julia Child. She taught us that it's the most brilliant way to 
you know, create a space with all your belongings. It's timeless. Diet Prada. Moving on. Open kitchens. Oh, into it. The kitchen is the center and the heartbeat of the house, I think. And so I feel like you should be able to see a kitchen anywhere in the house. (laughs) And that's not just because I live in a studio, but I think that like it's food. It's a resource for connection and creating something, you know, and like survival. And you kind of, I think from any point in any house, it would just be nice to be able to see that resource, like that well of nutrients. Patchwork. Into. Patchwork is just historical and cultural and uh, quilting. I mean, the talent itself, it's beautiful. Okay, last one is blobby bulbous sofas. Into. I respect the blobby couches. So in the spirit of trending forward, what do you see as the next big thing, whether that's in fashion or design or in your own space or in your shop? What's sort of percolating for you? I still am sort of seeking that, but I think camping outside, cooking outside, that that way of like entertaining in the great outdoors, you know, and kind of geeking out over equipment like that. <laughs> I think that there's like a really sophisticated, not even, it just seems sophisticated because we're not familiar associating camping with, you know, you can make sushi is like one of the easiest things you can do while you're camping. Like making rice and bringing seaweed with you and canned tuna is like the simplest way to make a quick lunch or dinner that I think gets overlooked. Something like that. That's an example, but, or actually just like, I'm really into the open fire cooking outside grilling meat look as well. I mean, I would love for a Beverly store to have like an open grill outside. I can't wait for that. Beverly, thank you so much for chatting today. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. Design Time Trending Forward is produced by Team Domino and Ali Alquiza and edited by Amanda K. Wang. With special thanks to Erin Cunningham, Erica Maltz, Megan West, Britt Ashcraft, Michaela Klein, Lindsay DeSimone, and Maria Luna. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week right here on Design Time Trending Forward.